Okay, Sheldon. I thought that you're taking away the mic and I got a shot around this house. Kind of used to that. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing good? Are you guys excited with Spring Forward? One last hour of sleep? How many of you need prayer for that? All right. So I'm kind of excited for Spring Forward and I hope like moving on, we can just stay here and do not have like uh uh, daylight saving time again because it's just messing a lot with my internal clock. Uh, my kids keep on asking, do I get another hour of sleep? No. Do I get another hour of sleep? No. You know, uh, but yeah, I'm glad that uh, I can, I get to see everybody uh, this morning in this house and I'm really excited to be able to share with you the word of God this morning. Okay. So in the month of uh, March, we're going to start on a new series that is called A Place of Power. Say it together. A place of power. There's no power here. A place of power. Can I hear it with some power? Yes. More like it. Okay. Whenever that we're talking about a place of power, we got a little bit confused. What does it mean? What is this whole sermon series mean? A place of power. Is it a cliche because we're Christian? It sounded right, but what is really a place of power? So when we're talking about a place of power, it basically speaks about that you and I, we have been called by God uh, to be placed in a place of authority, okay? Uh, whenever that we're thinking about our life as a Christian, a lot of times we think about Christian timid, Christian uh, be silent. But that is not the calling that God has placed upon your life and upon my life. A place of power speaks that God has placed you and I in a place of authority to make changes in this world. How many of you believe that? Yeah? Now, I really believe that whenever that we're talking about a place of power, whenever that we're talking about that we have been placed in a place of authority, sometimes we look at ourselves in the mirror, we look to the left, we look to the right. Really? Power? Me? Maybe not me. Maybe it's the pastor. Maybe it's somebody else that is greater that has like the, the title, the reputation. But me? No way, Jose. I don't think that I have that kind of power. I don't think that I have that kind of charisma. I don't think that I have that kind of authority. How many are you with me here? Whenever that I look into myself in the mirror, maybe you think that I'm confident. Maybe you think that you're, uh, you are confident. But whenever that you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you hear about something great and you hear that God is saying that you are doing to do a great thing, you start doubting. Do I have that place of authority? Let's go to the next slide here. Uh, this is basically the, the verse that I want to share with you. It, it's John 14 verse 12. This is just the moment, the night before Jesus was taken away from the disciple. And he had a nice dinner with everybody, uh, the, the last supper. And he shared this. This is the commandment that he gave to his disciple before he told them. After he told them, hey, by the way, I'm going to be away. And you're not going to be able to see me anymore in this world. The time is coming soon. And people are starting panicking and asking, where are you going, Lord? Where are you going? And he said that I am going to, to go a place, but don't worry about it. Because even though it feels like the work is not done, this is what I got to tell you. Very truly, I tell you, whoever, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. 
And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to go to the Father. Now the word will here is really, really rich. Because the word will here, it is a commission, meaning that it's a guarantee that I am going to send you. When I am going away, I am going to send you and you're going to do the same quality things that I've been doing. And when the disciple receives this message, when they receive this commission, when we receive this and we hear it together and we bring it to our heart, we all go like, me? Really? I'm just a follower and what can a follower do? How many of you feel the same thing with me? But I believe that a power of a follower has been really, really underrated. This morning, I want to share with you this quick video from a TED uh, Talk. I love TED Talk because it's always inspiring. And let's watch it together and learn a very important uh, principle of the power of a follower. Let's go. So ladies and gentlemen, at TED, we talk a lot about leadership and how to make a movement. So let's watch a movement happen, start to finish in under three minutes and dissect some lessons from it. First, of course you know, a leader needs the guts to stand out and be ridiculed. <laughs> but what he's doing is so easy to follow. So here's his first follower with a crucial role. He's going to show everyone else how to follow. Now notice that the leader embraces him as an equal. So now it's not about the leader anymore, it's about them, plural. Now there he is calling to his friends. Now if you notice that the first follower is actually an underestimated form of leadership in itself. It takes guts to stand out like that. The first follower is what transforms a lone nut into a leader. <laughs> and here comes a second follower. Now it's not a lone nut, it's not two nuts. Three is a crowd and a crowd is news. So a movement must be public. It's important to show not just the leader, but the followers, because you find that new followers emulate the followers, not the leader. Now here come two more people, and immediately after, three more people. Now we've got momentum. This is the tipping point. Now we've got a movement. <laughs> so notice that as more people join in, it's less risky. So those that were sitting on the fence before now have no reason not to. They won't stand out. They won't be ridiculed but they will be part of the in-crowd if they hurry. So, <laughs> over the next minute, you'll see all of the, uh, those that prefer to stick with the crowd because eventually they would be ridiculed for not joining in. And that's how you make a movement. But let's recap some lessons from this. So first, if you are the type, like the shirtless dancing guy, that is standing alone, remember the importance of nurturing your first few followers as equals. So it's clearly about the movement, not you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but we might have missed the real lesson here. The biggest lesson, if you noticed, did you catch it? Is that leadership is over-glorified. That yes, it was the shirtless guy was first, and he'll get all the credit, but it was really the first follower that transformed the lone nut into a leader. So as we're told that we should all be leaders, that would be really ineffective. If you really care about starting a movement, have the courage to follow and show others how to follow. And when you find a lone nut doing something great, have the guts to be the first one to stand up and join in. And what a perfect place to do that, Ted. Thanks. <laughs>
mentor that is turning this first shirtless loan nut into a leader. So, uh, here's the thing that I want to ask to think about. How many of you know that to a lot of people around us, Jesus is sometimes, it's like that lone nut. He's doing something crazy and they don't understand it. And they started ridiculing all the Christianity teachings that we have been learning. Been there before? Like people are thinking like the Jesus movement is sometimes like a lone nut movement. But the thing is this, when you're living in the midst of that kind of culture and you're standing by the side and you know that there is something great. The, the concept of being a powerful follower is that do not be afraid. Have courage of following because there's a lot more people that is on the side that still doesn't understand yet that will jump in together with you as you follow the movement of the slow nut. You will turn. The slow nut, Jesus, you know, in the midst of people and they think that this is craziness. As you started to follow, they will start emulating you and they will start knowing that this is not a low nut movement. This is something powerful. This is something great. And that is the power that God has instilled in you. He doesn't want to be just the lone person dancing around. He wants you and I to come and join in together with Him. How many of you now believe that you have the power, you have something actually more to offer than what you initially think of. Because I believe as we start following, you know, people will start being able to relate. As you start following, people will start seeing the point. As you start following, others will start developing courage. So the, le the, the lesson here that we want to uh, have is that number one, if you find a lone nut doing something great, have the courage to follow. If you see Jesus in the midst of you, have courage to follow. If you see great movement of God in the midst of us, have great courage to follow. And then number two is that with, follow with courage and teach others to follow this movement that God has placed in the midst of us. That is what a place of power is all about. It's not about Pastor Erwan here doing great things. It's not about one or two people in this place doing great things. It's about us. It's about the whole movement here jumping in and doing the great things that God has called you and I to do. Remember John 14 verse 12? Whosoever believe will do the same things that I've been doing and even greater things. It's a commission, not for one or two, not for some select disciples, but for all whosoever believe in Him. Do you believe? Because if you believe, it's you. Do you believe? Because if you do, it's you. It's every single one of us that came here gathering in the name of Jesus, believing the power of the resurrection. It's us who's been commissioned by God to be in a place of power. And sometimes, you know, like I, I understand like the transition, uh, being like a follower into becoming like somebody with authority, it doesn't feel natural. Uh, my son eats a lot. It's not a secret, he eats more than I do. And that's why like it, we spend a lot of money on food and we cannot afford private school. He's going to public, no question asked. You spend all the money on your food. And not just that, he's pretty much a foodie. Very, very picky whenever that he's ordering food. So we finally say like, okay, 
That's it. You're going to order your own food. We're not going to bother with it. You're going to make sure that you're talking with, uh, with the waiter, waitress. What do you want? But the problem is sometimes as a, as a kid, we can be t- uh, a little bit shy, right? And as a kid, sometimes people don't really pay attention to us if we're shy. And it's a big transition for him from being a foodie that is really picky, that is looking to mom and dad to order the food for him into becoming somebody that can look into somebody else in the eye and order what he, they want. It's a big transition. So we kept on training him. Last week, we gave him the credit card and you order Go to, to uh, we went to a burger joint called Red Mill. How many of you know here Red Mill? Mm, best. He went there and ordered whatever, whatever that he wants. But before he started ordering, he's just looking to mom and dad like typical. The first time he, that he did that, he was going to the waiters and say that, um, my dad has something to say to you. Great, like I'm ordering. But today, today, yesterday actually, last week. He went on and ordered all by himself and he understood as long as he got that plastic card on his hand, he got the authority, he got the power to release my bank account to Red Mill. That is the place of authority. When God gave you the power, you know, you have the power to release what he has in store. When you have that plastic card on your hand, you have the power and authority to release the funds. All the parents here know too well. And you will start limiting the authority. But that is what authority is. And sometimes our transition into knowing that we have the authority from God can be really daunting, you know. And it's the same situation as the, the, uh, the disciples here. At first, they don't believe. At first, they felt that, Jesus, you're just something special and you have the authority, but I don't have the authority here. Can I really be doing the great things that you've been doing? And let's read this passage a little bit more complete because we only read the commission part, right? Here in John 14, verse 10, starting from verse 10, it says, Don't you believe that I am the Father? This is what, when uh, Philip was asking uh, Jesus, show me, the, uh, show us the Father, and if you show us the Father, it'll be enough. Like I believe you, I believe that, uh, I, believe, I believe you that uh, we can be doing whatever that you've been doing. And this is what he said: Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? In the words that I say to you, do n- I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. Believe me when I say, I am in the Father. And the Father in me. He repeated. He makes sure that know this. That there's this authority in me that is going to also be in you. Or at least believe in the evidence of the works themselves. You've seen all the signs and wonders. You've seen all the great things that I've been doing. You've seen all the, the, the signs. The things that least people marvel. How could it be? How can it happen? You've seen all of that. And you believe in it. So. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than this. Because I am going to the Father. And the word will here is not just a word of commission. But it is a word of a promise. 
a promise of authority not just i will command you to go out not just i will send you out but i will also empower you i promise you with the same authority that i am sent with the same authority that i've been performing things will you do the same as well out in the world so if we only take portion of the of the verse here and we feel like yes i'm a christian yes i'm being commissioned but I'm so darn afraid, God. Because it's such a big shoe to fill. I don't know if I have the same authority. This is the word of God that is saying that I will send you with the same authority, with the same power of the Father that is in me. I will send you out to do the same thing and even greater things than this. And this is going to be the topic that we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about his name that is bringing miracles. His name that is bringing miracles. I believe that this world, I believe that all of us, we're longing to see miracles. We're longing to see great things. And before you start tuning out, I understand. I think that it's so darn important for all of us to get into the definition and what is not a miracle. You know, because like, when we're living in a Christian culture, you know, like whenever that we're living in a culture, it's so darn hard to differentiate which one is because it's needed and which one is tradition. Which one is culture and which one is the truth, you know? Like I've given this uh, example so many times, like in Indonesia, we have this tradition. Whenever that you get sick, we take a coin, we put an oil and we start rubbing it on the back. We think that that's going to heal you, but there's no substance at all that that is proving that, uh, that can actually heal you. That is a tradition. In the same way, in a church, you know, we need, to make, uh, we need to know what is a tradition. What are the bad things that we've been doing? What are the false things that we've been believing about miracles versus the true things? Because I believe that this is one of the things that makes me really hate talking about miracles. As a matter of fact, last week, I'm talking to Pastor Erwin. Are you sure that you want to uh, have me talk about miracles? Because, you know, like, I'm a very data-driven data guy. Uh, I'm, I love science. Uh, contrary to, to a lot of the way that people are, who are minister, they like to say, like, I'm not good at math. Well, I'm good at math. Let me just say that. I love math. So sometimes whenever that we're talking about something spooky, when, when we're talking about some, something spiritual, the skepticism inside of me immediately jumps. Just be honest, like, that, that's just me. It's probably one of my weakness, but that's just me. I'm a person that likes to question things. And one of the things that I really don't like out of talking about uh, spooky miracles is, I think it's because, like, the culture that we've been running about miracles. The false things that we've been uh, believing and we've been doing about miracles. And the first thing is this. A lot of times, Christian... We treat miracle, you know, as an insurance to cover our bad behavior. I think we've all been done, uh, we've all been doing this thing in our lives. How many of you with me? I know I, I admit this completely, bluntly. I've been using miracles and things that we believe about miracles as an insurance of my bad behavior. For an example, example. You know, in this, in this world, there are only two types of people, right? And so, uh, there are the timekeepers, people who are always in time, like Pastor Erwan here, he's a timekeeper. Whenever that you are having a meeting with him, 
will be on time. Early. My father-in-law, very, very much timekeeper. The meeting is 4 o'clock. He will show up at 12. Four hours early. That's who he is. They like to be on time and they will be on the extreme wanting to be on time. On the opposite uh, spectrum of the timekeeper, there are the time benders. I'm a, ti- I'm, I'm a time bender. My wife is a time bender. And together, we're super time benders, you know. The only difference between the two of us is that she's less guilty. Whenever that she's doing something, she just don't remember time. She will wake up early and she will start doing her chores without knowing the time. Now, I'm on the other side. I like to be precise and I'm really on the spectrum of time bending. If the meeting is at 10, I better, I, I completely try to be there at 10 at the dot. You know, 959.99 is wrong. When the flight is at 12 o'clock and they recommend to be there at 10, I want to be there at 10, no more, no less. But time, thing doesn't always work on my way. You know, Murphy's Law, there's always things that, are, that is happening. You lost your key. Your kid is hiding somewhere just before the moment that you need to go for something that is important. They just decided we're going to play hide and seek. And we're not going to let mom and dad know where we are. They're just gone out of the house. And immediately the holiness out of that house is gone too, you know. But we're as a time bender. There's one time that I remember. We're going. We bought a ticket to go to see Wow in the World. It's like a podcast for kids to entertain our kids. And there we are. We're going 15 minutes late. Well, it takes from our house to downtown Seattle about 30 minutes. We're 15 minutes late, you know. And then after that, all the time bender inside of us and the way that we're treating uh, miracles is uh, as if um, an insurance to our bad behavior. We are there in the car, started praying, and my wife started speaking in tongue, you know, being all holy, lifting hands and stuff. And suddenly this voice comes to me in the voice of God. It says, hey, you time benders. There are two different ways that we can do this. Either one, I will cut short the distance between you and downtown Seattle by 10 miles. Or you can speed your car up to 120 miles an hour and you will reach your destination in time. Which miracle do you prefer? And that moment, it dawned on me. That God doesn't care about happiness. God cares about godliness. That God doesn't really want us to treat the power that he's given to us. To see the power that he's given to us. As an excuse for our bad behavior. He'd rather have us trained. He'd rather have me change in the situation. And in the same way. You know, I think this is one of the pitfalls. Where a lot of Christians, a lot of us, sometimes we fall. We know we have power, but there's that, this abuse of power. We think that we can shortcut. We can have a shortcut of the diligence that God wants us to have in our life. We can have a shortcut, but that's not how it works. He wants to train you and I to be a, uh, to be a disciple. Disciple, the key word is being disciplined. 
to follow after him, to be godly instead to be happy. The second thing that I really don't like is that a lot of times we're treating miracle like magic. You know, and there's a lot of discussion here that, hey, if you can prove it by science, it cannot be miracle. No, it never says that. Miracle comes in all shapes and sizes. It can be something that you don't understand right now. It can be something that completely cannot be understood. It can be something that can be explained. Why does it matter? Because I believe that miracle is just something great that God is doing in your life. And the, the other bad thing about it too is that sometimes I've heard a lot about this. That people say that they can control when miracles are happening. I don't believe this at all. Because even in the Bible, you will read the story of Paul when he's asking, God, please heal me. God said that I am not going to heal you. So why are we pretending as if we can control miracle? Well, we can't. And I think like this is really important because if we started, you know, trying to overfit into this narrative, trying to overconvince people that yeah, I can control it, it starts to erode trust. Not too long ago, you know, uh, in my family, how many of you know that we can do black magic between my, uh, me and my wife? You, you know this trick? It's the trick when you, uh, you and somebody else, uh, between me and my wife, I told my son, hey, you pick any item inside of this room, tell it to mom, I will be able to guess it, what it is. And the, the, the trick is here, as a spoiler for of you the, uh, that doesn't know, know this black magic, it's called black magic for a reason. She will start naming uh, an item one at a time. Is it, is it a chair? Well, the color of the chair is blue. No. Is it the carpet? No, it's green. Then she will say, the table, because the table is black, I will say no. And the next item after that is the item that, that uh, my son picked. That's black magic. He believes that it's magic. And we told him, like, mom and dad has the, the special power. We know all the bad things that you've done. Be careful. Until he figured out that black magic is a trick. You know, it erodes trust. And right now, every single thing must be a trick, right? Must be a trick, right? Why? Because every single time that we're bending the truth for our ways, it erodes trust. It erodes trust. And I don't want this. And there's a lot of bad actors out there that is using this miracle vehicle to fit into their own personal mission. You've heard about the, the gospel of uh, prosperity, right? Prosperity gospel. If you give, God is going to heal you. If you give, God is going to make you rich. Have heard that, that theology before? Let me tell you, run away from those people. I'm telling you. I really dislike all those theology because I do not believe that that is what God is promising to us. Especially for those who are asking, give and you shall be healed. Give and you shall be made rich. I don't believe that. I believe that giving is important, yes. Why? It's to cleanse our heart so that we will be generous, so that we will have a mission in our hearts. If you don't give, you never live. If you never give, you know, one day, all the, that thing that you accumulate is just going to lay out to be distributed and somebody else will have a say on how it's going to be used. Therefore, it's important while we still live that we make a decision how it's going to be used for the things that we care about. That is the heart of giving. But do not believe in anyone that is saying that give and, you know, 
you shall be healed, and all the extra again uh, promises. I believe that there needs to be a rigid control over this because even Jesus, after he healed people, he will send them over to the priest specifically. Do not stay quiet. Go to the priest. Why? To get inspected. For them to declare, yep, a miracle has happened. Yep, something awesome has happened. Something that is uh, wonderful has happened. It's an inspection. And I feel that for all of us, we also need to have the same kind of mentality. We do not need to defend God because he knows how to defend himself. We do not need to bend the narrative to be on its way because he will be able to do it himself. All right? So now that we've been passed through that, talking about the silly uh, things that we believe about miracles, let me catch you up with this. In all the miracles that is happening throughout the Bible, have you ever noticed that they're basically just a simple detail over the grand picture that God is doing in the midst of us? Moses, when he split the Red Sea, what is the real miracle here? It's not the Red Sea got split. It's that Moses was able to take the Israel out of Egypt to the promised land. Joseph, when he got all the dreams, yes, it's grand, it's amazing, it's a wonderful story. What's, but what is the real thing that is going on here? He saved the nation from famine, from hunger. So why caught up in the small little details that you don't have control anyways? Because regardless whether Moses split the Red Sea or not, God is still going to bring the Israel out from Egypt to the promised land. Through one way or another, through one detail or another, God is still going to do the great things that he has planned. Then why do we caught up, get caught up in the small little things? Instead, let me say this, instead of being a miracle chaser, why don't you be the miracle in our lives? Instead of chasing for magic, let me phrase it that way. Why don't we focus on being someone else's miracle? And let me explain it to you like this. I think like this story has become like very close to me, very dear, and it changed the way that I think. Gives me a perspective on the great things that God can do. You can go to the next slide. This is the map of Indonesia. Uh, and I know that a lot of us came here, uh, came from Indonesia, a lot of us... Uh, in this place. And if you don't know Indonesia yet, this is how Indonesia looks like. Indonesia is an archipelago. It's consisted of 17,000 uh, little islands, big and small islands, all across. As you can imagine, it's so darn difficult to travel from one place to another. And uh, on the big island like Java uh, and uh, part of Sumatra and Bali probably, people are well off. But on the, the other island, a lot of people are living in extreme poverty. And one problem that they have is that, according to World Bank, for every 1,000 people, there's only half a physician. And that is consisting of all the, the country. As you can imagine, like smaller uh, parts of, the, uh, of this nation will ha have even less access to the 0.5. And to give you a little bit more perspective, that is five physicians, five doctors for every 10,000 people. Five for every 10,000. In Germany, 
we have like four to five doctors for every thousand people. As you can imagine, that's a lot of difference. In United States, it's 2.6 doctors for every thousand. In India, it's about one for every thousand people. In Indonesia, it's five doctors for 10,000. 10,000, no longer a thousand, 10,000. Medically speaking, it's really unreachable. But there's this movement. There's this uh, organization in Indonesia that is called Doctor Share. And their mission is basically bringing uh, medication, bringing free medical help to these areas. And uh, I had this conversation with the founder of Dr. Share uh, because I happen to know him. All right? Okay. I had this conversation with him. And uh, he gave me a little bit of background how he started this whole thing. When he grew up, you know, he grew up in extreme poverty. The world just got finished with WW2, War II. And every, everything was destroyed. Everything, uh, a lot of people are living in poverty. And he lost his dad when he was a kid. He was so poor that even when, uh, when they're playing soccer, people like to, to uh, tease him. Like, if you're playing soccer, you, you better just use, like, uh, the coconut husk because you cannot afford buying a soccer ball. And uh, he likes, uh, they like ma making fun out of him, but inside of him, he was really determined that he wanted to be a surgeon at a young age. He really wanted to be a surgeon, but it's so darn difficult being a surgeon when you're poor. When, you're, when you don't live in the island of Java and you live in poverty, it's so darn hard to become a surgeon. But he worked hard. One thing that he got he, is that he got grit. Grit is a determination that no matter what I am to, going to get there, I don't care if you say that I'm poor, I'm going to get there. So he was a good student. He studied hard. He wanted to be a surgeon. And what a coincidence. The moment that he needs to go for college. He didn't tell me this part, but I kind of figured out because he told me that he went to Germany for school. I kind of did a, a bit of research. Apparently, in 1971, that's roughly about the same time that he needs to go for college. In 1971, Germany, out of nowhere, maybe out of somewhere, they decided that, hey, here's a great idea, a tremendous idea that we're probably like the first country that is doing this after uh, WW2. Let's make college tuition free for domestic student and also for international. Free. 1971. Just about the moment that he needs to go for college for further education. What a perfect timing. There he go. Being a poor guy, he worked hard, gathered some money, one-way ticket, went to Germany, study, become a doctor, become the best in his field, study hard, and then after that, he finally become a doctor. He wasn't a Christian at this time. He has no plans of healing other people for free. No plans. Wasn't in the plan. Or so at least, I think. But eventually, working in Germany, he went back to Indonesia. And back in Indonesia is where he met Jesus. He found Jesus and he decided that I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And he's still a doctor. He's still doing the, the things that he loves the most, which is surgery. He's a nerd when it comes to doctor uh, skills, when it comes to surgery. He's a nerd. He loves those stuff. That is what he breathes in and out. That's the only thing that he dreamt of, being a doctor. And here he is in Indonesia, just being a doctor, until one day, you know, he read this verse. 
We can read it together here. Let's go. Which is going to be the Rama for all of us? This is a story when Jesus was being followed by a lot of people, you know. And then after that, after all, all of the signs and wonder, people are getting hungry. And then after that, Jesus started asking his disciples, what are we going to do here? There's a lot of people. It's too late to send them home. Everybody's hungry. And when people are hungry, they're cranky and stuff. What are we going to do? And uh, Philip immediately answered and said that, hey, even two years of wages will not be enough. Money is an issue here, Jesus. It's a lot of money to, to afford um, food for them. Where can we buy bread to feed these people, he said, to stretch Philip's faith. He already knew what he's going to do. This is Jesus. Philip answered, 2,000 pieces of silver wouldn't be enough to buy bread for each person to get a piece. Problem, Jesus. And next verse here. One of the disciples, his name is Andrew, brother of Simon Peter, said, There's a little boy here. Got five barley loaves and two fish. He got some lunch, basically, Jesus, in a lunchbox. But that's nothing for 5,000 crowds. Nobody will be, uh, no, it's not going to be enough for anyone. And Jesus said, no problem. Make everybody sit. There's a nice carpet of green grass in this place. They sat down, about 5,000 of them. Then Jesus took the bread and having given thanks, gave it to those who were seated. He did the same with the fish. All ate as much as they wanted. Now, coming back again to the story. When this doctor read about the story, he felt that there's this whisper that speaks inside of his heart. John 14, verse 12 again. Greater things than these you will do. And he was going like, how? How, God? You're just giving me like this verse about like Jesus feeding 5,000 people. How do you want me to feed 5,000 people? Even greater things than this, how can I do it? No way. Just let times pass by. Voice sometimes comes back to him, and he will come back with the same answer. How? <laughs> Give me how. Tell me how. I don't know. I'm just a doctor here. One person. Until back in 2009, he went to the east part of Indonesia, and he saw somebody there that is living in extreme poverty. They couldn't get medical attention. And uh, they know as a medical professional that this person needs to get immediate surgery, medical attention. Unless if they get immediate medical attention, there will be consequences. And it started dawn to him that the words of his mom, that the poor people needs to be taken care of. And that burns inside of his heart. And their exact word was like, those poor people, you know, do not ever try to force them to pay you. Because they will do. They will pay you. But behind that, they will cry because they cannot afford to buy rice after they're paying for their medical bill. Not to get the story short, he's not forcing anyone to pay. But that is just the words that was living inside of him. The words that the mom told him when he was a poor kid. Because they live in poverty. He could understand the pain of these people. And that was the moment that it sparked a spirit inside of him. These people, they need to buy a ticket to go to Java to get medical attention and then to return. They cannot afford this. They will if they can. But even if they can, they will cry because they will not have food. 
that burns a passion inside of him. And that makes him awake at night and thinking, what can I do? What can I do? And comes the idea, what about if I get a boat? But I'm just a doctor. I don't have a lot of money to, I cannot buy a, bo a boat to do surgery. So he started making call here and there. And apparently when he's making a call, this lone nut attract other followers that is going like, yep, I don't have the skill of a doctor, but I have the, the dough. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to chip in. Long story short, this whole movement that started with one doctor becomes a movement of hundreds of doctors. Thousands of surgeries has been done on this boat. Ten thousands and more of medical, medical consultation and help has been done through the small little islands. And at that moment, when he saw back, the voice came back to him saying, greater things than this you will do. Now to us, when we're hearing the story, you know, as a third party, just watching the story, it sounded like, that's so inspiring. But imagine it to the people who were on those islands who didn't have the means. That is a miracle. I've been praying for healing to happen. And God, you sent this doctor out of nowhere. You sent doctors out of nowhere. My way. How is that possible? It's a miracle. It's, it's prayer come true. And that is what I meant. Don't search for a miracle, but be that miracle. Because God is preparing you and I not just to see magic, but to be a miracle that is happening to the Israel. God is preparing you to be Moses that is being sent to Israel to free the nation. God is calling you to be Joseph that is called to, to save the nation from famine. And in order for any one of us to be that miracle, is this one key, always to be prepared. Pay attention. Moses split the Red Sea just in one day, but it took him 40 years to let the people through the desert. And it took him also a lot of training to be able to do this. And a lot of times we don't think, we don't really see this. But during the quiet moments when Moses was, was rescued, when he was a little boy, he was prepared with all sorts of training that is fitting of a prince. That is fitting to lead a big army that is ready to call for war. That is ready to take over a land. That is ready to make a long journey. That knows how to read the wind. That knows how to read the sun. That knows how to navigate. How? Because God needs somebody that is more than just a, a, of a slave training to be able to lead this whole nation. He prepared Moses with the best training possible because God needs somebody to attend for a medical help for these people. He prepared somebody that came from a similar background from the, uh, by these people to went through a rigorous training. And what's the moral story of this? Is that you and I, God places us in the field that we're in it doesn't really matter. Maybe you're a nurse. Maybe you're in medical. Maybe you're a scientist. Be the best in your field. Because one day, God is going to call you. What do you have to bless my people? What do you have inside of you to bless my people? And you come and say, I only have five bread and two fish. And Jesus is going to say, it's enough. 
the little things that you have here, if you're willing and give it to my hands, I will break it apart and feed the 5,000 people and even greater things. And maybe we see that it's worth nothing. Maybe we see today our skill does not really fit. But God is preparing you and I to be in this kingly training that is preparing you and I to do something great. Stop focusing on searching for miracle. But focus on be that miracle. And there's no shortcut. There's no, no easy way. But he's preparing you and I. As we're being faithful. As we're investing the best in it. As we're following him. He's preparing our, ourselves here. To be a part. To be a puzzle piece in someone else's miracle. That's what I believe. And the second thing is this. Let me close with this. Second thing, if you want to be a miracle in someone else's life, is be willing when he's asking. Sometimes it feels so darn hard to give what we have, the little that we have. Just like this little boy, I don't know, the image to me is a little boy, but which boy will eat like five bread and two fish? That's a lot of lunch for a little boy. And it wasn't really said here whether this boy gave his lunch and a good heart to Jesus, or was he throwing tantrum and being angry? That I, I imagine not. I imagine he's willingly here. Jesus, here's my food. It's nothing, but I'm willing to give it. It's not like Jesus uh, rob him out of the food. You know, they'll be wrong. But as silly as it is, he came and said that, Master, get five bread, two fish, nothing here. But if you're just willing and you take it in your hand, I know and I'm certain. I just trust you that things will happen. I don't know. Maybe like the big man will get the, the portion first. Maybe I'm last. Doesn't matter. I trust you. This is what I have. I give it to you. And sometimes giving ourselves for the purpose can be difficult. Because just like that, that first follower uh, that we remember in that video... A lot of eyes are watching us. Have courage to follow. Have courage to give. You might be ridiculed by others, but have the courage to follow. Because as you follow, I guarantee you that the movement will go on. And God will be able to bless with the little that you have. To bless the thousands that you could never imagine he could. Be the miracle, not chase for miracles. Amen. Let's all stand up. Father God, this morning we just want to thank you again for your words. And we believe that you're a great God and you have a great calling. It's a mystery sometimes. We cannot connect the dots right now. It just doesn't make sense. Our lives sometimes doesn't make sense. And sometimes we're going through hardship. We're going through conditions that we don't understand yet. But everything, Father, throughout everything, will work together for the goodness of those who love you. And we believe, Father, every single one of us here, every single soul, every single person, whatever background that we're in, you made us special. Not just as a cliche. But you really made us special because in every single place that you place us, in every single background that you put us, Father, you're preparing something great. You're preparing us to be the miracle for someone else's prayer. And my prayer today is simple, Father, is that we 
will be able to capture your heart. And we will be able to remain true. That we will be able to remain faithful. That you will prepare us and make us and send us. Not just commission, but power us, Father. That is what we believe. Lord Jesus, right now, as we are going to depart from this place, let us always remember that we have the authority and the commission from you to make a change to the world that we're in. Let us be faithful and let us always know that wherever that we go, Father, you're with us forever and forever and ever. We thank you, Lord Jesus, in your name, Father, we pray. Amen.